out there. Uh, it is the end of July, or almost the end of July, and it's about to be Terminations. So we figured that we'd jump back on here and talk to you guys. I know it's been a minute since the uh, end of the World Cup. We've we've had a bit of a hangover, but I guess now we're back to business. The, the women are back in the game, and we are back here on episode four of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Uh, if you cannot tell by now, my name is Donald. Um, I'm, as always, joined by my partner in crime, Stephanie. Stephanie, how you doing? It is uh, hotter than hell here in Boston. Yeah, well, are you getting the the rain that we're getting? Because apparently we have enough rain to that Noah would be pissed. We're getting the rain, but the rain doesn't cool things down. It just makes things hot and moist. So. Well, we, we have that. <laughs> we perpetually have that. I live in D.C. Um, and you know what, Stephanie? We actually have a special guest with us. It's our first ever uh, third host or co-host or guest host of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Uh, straight out of, you're not out of Lancaster, are you? You're not, you're in Lancaster. Parker Cleveland. What's up, man? What's up, guys? I'm in, uh, I'm in, in uh, State College. I'm in Center, Center County, Pennsylvania. Oh, you're by, you're by Penn State. Yeah, out here in the rolling hills of, uh, of the middle of nowhere. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, so Parker is going to join us for, uh, for this episode, we're going to get into, um, some stuff about the men's national team and how, uh, they should be deciding what to be as far as a, a, na- a nation worth of, of soccer, um, uh, whether it be, uh, following a French model or a German model or some other model. Uh, but before we do that, the women are back for tournament of nations. Uh, it begins on Thursday in Kansas city when they play Japan. Um, they will then go to. Uh, Hartford on Sunday, July 29th, and then uh, we'll end in Chicago on August 2nd, um, playing Australia and Brazil. So um, we have the roster out. We've had a couple of controversies, and and now I guess maybe another controversy now that the, the controversy has been averted. Um, but I'm going to start with Stephanie. Uh, what can we expect from this Tournament of Nations, and, and give us your thoughts on what can we expect from this team? I think we're going to be looking at Australia coming hard out of the gate the uh the matildas they're like football australia i think they published recently an official article talking about they want to be top three in the world and they have the resources to do it both in terms of i think money and players who can make it happen um i think it would be really really hilarious if tournament of nations every year australia just comes in and like steamrolls everybody and like thanks for the invite guys we like beat you guys at your own tournament happy to do it again next year we'll see we'll see i'm kind of interested in japan they seem like a squad kind of in rebuild mode aiming to peak around the world cup um you know they the when we talk about their world cup win in 2011 a lot of people talk about how that was kind of a cycle earlier than they originally planned and then of course in 2015 they came close again but carly lloyd did carly lloyd things uh, it seemed kind of destined that the United States would win there. So we'll see what they're what they're like, you know, heading into the, the last year before the World Cup. I think this is going to be interesting from the United States because a lot of older players are kind of this is their swan song period. Um, Becky Sauerbrunn, this is going to be her last World Cup, barring some kind of like cybernetic replacement surgery. Uh, Carly Lloyd's is definitely her last World Cup. She might argue like, you don't know that, but we know that. She's already transitioning into a bench role. So I think I want to look at the midfield here as well. It's very centrally focused between Morgan Bryan, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, 
Carly Lloyd, Sam Mewis, Allie Long, McCall Zeroni, those are all central players. There are no wide players, natural wide players listed in the midfield on the roster. So how is Jill Ellis going to structure her starting 11 to make up for that? Is she going to play kind of like this narrow, maybe even like a how North Carolina does it with like a, a box in the middle? Is she going to kind of play a 3-5-2, which would also take advantage of not really having fullbacks in? She's got... Um, Casey Short and Mert Mathias, who are kind of natural fullbacks based on their more recent club play. And then the rest are all central players. So so, so we'll see. I think um, she kind of has figured out a little bit how to play three in the back without it all blowing up in her face. So at the same time engaging with from, you know, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath. She might be pushing Amy Rodriguez, Kristen Presswhite. We also don't know what she's going to do with Crystal Dunn, who is like, ironically, the Swiss knife of this team where she can play forward. She can play midfield. North Carolina plays her. Parker can talk about this, too, uh, in his coverage of North Carolina Courage. She can play underneath the forward line, left or right, anywhere. And she can play left or right fullback. So she kind of suffers because she's too good at doing too many things. And so she doesn't get to stay in one spot and focus on making that her specialty. A lot of... A lot of things, positive things to look forward to, I think. Yeah, and you're looking at this roster and, you know, there was a roster of 25 initially that Jill Ellis called and she she cut uh, Jalen Hinkle and, and Kayla Ojai. Um, we'll talk about Hinkle in a second, but just looking at this 23, you, you have, you know, Tobin Heath is back from injury. You know, Julie Ertz is back from injury. Um, uh, you got a, a couple other players that are back from injury. Amy Rodriguez is back in the picture. Are if you're if you're talking about the World Cup starting today, is this the 23? Is this the is this the strongest 23 we have, or is this uh, something where there's a couple of players out there that probably are still in the mix? We need to talk about Kelly O'Hara. She's been injured for a while. When she's mm-hmm. back, I think she definitely needs to be in the mix. I'm interested also in the goalkeeping pool for 2019. Um, from what I hear, Abby Smith probably was meant to be called in, but she picked up a concussion for the Utah Royals right before this roster. So we've got Adriana Franch. But when you look at performances, Franch has clearly been the steadiest, most competent goalkeeper who's also not over the age of like 32 playing in the entire league. So is she actually going to get time here? Um, I think she's a player who needs to be in the conversation and has maybe fortuitously found herself in position to make a case for herself. It sucks Abby Smith got a concussion and I hope she recovers very quickly because I think she also needs to be in the pool. In terms of other players who need to be in the conversation that, you know, for a World Cup, I would almost look at this roster and talk about who I don't see in the conversation for 2019. And that's probably players like Sonnet, Merritt Mathias, um, We'll see if Roosevelt can get healthy. And curiously enough, Allie Long, who has been very steady, but, you know, I don't necessarily think has been out and out, like tearing it up out there. She's put together a very consistent performance this season. Mm, I'm not sure how vital she's made herself in Joel's size. She'll probably go. We'll see. Yeah, and you had players that were, you know, featured in um, the She Believes Cup, like uh, Andy Sullivan and and uh, Mc, uh, is it Samantha McCaskill, um, Savannah McCaskill, yeah, Savannah, yeah. Like, are those players still in the mix? Because, I mean, in my mind, they they've they have appeared, and in some games they've done well, some games they've probably made some mistakes, but they're also you know fairly young. Uh, Andy Sullivan's very young, so um, would would we see possibly those names being called, especially for like World Cup qualifying in October? 
I think McCaskill we might, because one of the things working against her here is she does play for Sky Blue FC. If you've been following women's soccer news recently, you'll know that Sky Blue FC is a dumpster fire on mm-hmm. and off the field at the moment. Um, and I think she's been hampered in her rookie season a little bit by not necessarily having the resources to shine, but also maybe having a little trouble adjusting. She hasn't been getting regular 90s until recently. It, it kind of tapered off. So I don't know if that's a fitness thing or just a, a tactics adjustment thing. Although in the last game, she was still trucking it forward like at full speed in the 91st minute. So I, maybe it's not a fitness issue. I think McCaskill could maybe be in the conversation if she can show something special in NWSL. But that's the thing. Can she show anything special while she plays for Sky Blue? As for Andy Sullivan, I think she's been a little bit of, um, I don't want to say disappointment, but she hasn't quite met the expectations for this season. To be fair, the expectations were high, mm-hmm. but she hasn't met them. Very high, especially very, for very the spirit. Yeah. yeah, but I just don't think that she's demonstrated the speed and kind of the decision-making that you need at the highest level. So I kind of like, Looking at this tournament, what do you kind of think that the U.S. is trying to get out of it? Are they kind of looking at this as gauging sort of, you know, how they perform against the best teams in the world? Or do you think that Jill's still trying to, like, call this roster and and see what she has and try to, you know, prepare for qualifying a little bit more? I think on the micro level, they're going to use this to simulate the group stage of a big time tournament. Um, And I think that's a good use of their time if they're going to have to be away from their club teams in the middle of the season you know, the last third when the table is really tight Um, because you've got three games in a week, basically, and they're scattered all over the country. I think that's that's good practice. And I think Joel is going to see who, you know, rises and who sinks Um, on the macro level. You and I and everybody else out there knows that Tournament of Nations is kind of a cash grab. I don't begrudge U.S. soccer trying to make money. Um, And the more tickets that the women's team sells and the more money that they make, the more, you know, support that they have within the program, that's fine. But I think as long as they're having to be out, that their goal is going to be to see who can play most consistently at a high level throughout all three games. Do you think that uh, Ellis kind of picks a keeper and and sticks with it? I think Nair started all three of the She Believes Cup games. Um, I would, yeah, I would very, like at this point, I'm 80, 90% sure she's going to start Alyssa Nair for all three games. If, yeah, she might give Nair two games and another keeper one, or even Nair like two and a half games and then sub someone for 45 minutes, which, because we're getting so close to qualifying, we're starting to get to the point where she like has to just have a number one and stick with her. But man, that really sucks for everybody else in the pool who should have been getting time. <laughs> Yeah, you feel like at the end of the day, you know, even if it's two and a half games and you have someone play 45, you, you want to, I mean, we have that. And then, you know, we have the tournament nations. They have the two Chile matches um, on Labor Day weekend. And then we have World Cup qualifying. And, you know, God forbid something happens to Nair uh, where she's picks up a knock or something and she can't go for World Cup qualifying. You want to have more than one keeper with that confidence. And, and whether it's Ashley, Ashley Harris or, or someone else, I think that you would need to have somebody have that confidence boost and what better time to do it. I mean, that's kind of why they created this tournament is to kind of get some of these players, the confidence boost that they need against top quality competition that you may see in a world cup. Yeah, I agree with you, Donald. I would love to see 
a non-nayer keeper get two games in a row not even like one game for each keeper i want someone else to get uh two big games in a row to simulate you know what they might be called upon to do um i don't think it's going to happen yeah it could i mean it could spur the competition in practice right like you know if you already know that there's a number one and the number one's playing every minute of this tournament then as a number two or number three what's the difference you know um so maybe maybe saying hey we're gonna have one one of you guys start one of these games uh it's just a matter of who wants that number who wants that spot that may help spur the competition in in practice and, and maybe that that will help kind of solidify what the what the pecking order is it might and especially with french coming in it's like i don't have anything to lose i'm actually probably fourth or fifth right now in pecking order mm-hmm. and you know through a combination of you know jane campbell not looking so hot right now and injury i'm here so she might as well just go for it yeah absolutely let's talk about who didn't make the roster um <laughs> the elephant in the room um so Jalen hinkle uh, was called into the national team and it was obviously a very controversial decision to include her in the initial 25 uh, woman roster. Uh, she was released yesterday along with uh, Ohio, but obviously people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hinkle got, got cut. And now there is even more controversy surrounding that. So let's just talk about this for a minute. Sure. Why is this such a big deal? And who is who is really like looking bad in this? Because there's obviously someone that's looking bad in this. I mean, U.S. soccer always looks bad, no matter what it does. They're <laughs> right, just, and that's the baseline. Like, so, so at that point, I'm not even counting them. Like, who who else looks bad in this? I mean, kind of have to. I think you kind of have to say that Hinkle looks bad in it. Um, I mean, in the overall situation, yeah. In the, I was thinking about like just the roster cut situation. I think U.S. soccer is the one that really looks bad there. But Parker's yeah. right. Jalen Hinkle made her bed because with the initial turndown, she's the one who of her own free will last year said, no, I won't do that. And, you know, for whatever reason, U.S. soccer decided to give her a second shot. Maybe, um, you know, Jason Anderson writes for Black and Red United. We were talking is like maybe they were calling her in just to see, you know, when you get a new fish and you have to put it inside the same in a bag and lower <laughs> it inside the tank to mm-hmm. see if the other fish are going to attack it or not. Like maybe that's what this was. Like they were just lowering Jaylene Hinkle into the fish tank and seeing how it affected, you know, the local environment. And they decided it was untenable. We don't, we don't know. Or, you know, U.S. Soccer told uh, Kim McCauley, our colleague at SB Nation Soccer, that all the cuts to the roster were made for purely soccer decisions. But purely soccer decisions can include, you know, locker room coherency in my mind. That's mm-hmm. a it's a legitimate thing to consider when putting together a squad, especially heading into World Cup qualifying. Um, so I I think U.S. soccer has kind of covered all their bases. If you want to go into conspiracy theories about it, uh-huh. sure. I don't think we have that kind of time. And I tinfoils <laughs> in the kitchen. So Yeah, we I definitely have don't have that. that kind of time. But I mean, in the end, you're right. Like when, when someone says, hey, it's cut for soccer reasons, like we... <laughs> Guys, in 1998, John Harkes was sent home from the World Cup for sleeping with a teammate's wife. Like that, that affects cohesion, that affects continuity, that affects, you know, team camaraderie. And that, all of that obviously affected performance on the field. We finished dead last in that tournament. You know, things like this, it could be very small, it could be very big, but something 
like this, you know, you turn down a call up for your nation. Most people don't get that second chance. She's obviously good enough to even warrant a second chance. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about her ever again. Um, and if it's something where it was locker room cohesion, that was the deal. If it's simply that, you know, Casey Short was much better than her um, at, at, the, at, at left back, that's fine. And I think if U.S. soccer says, hey, we brought in these players, like these are, these are the 23 that we need um, and we're going with that, that's fine. But in the end, I think you're right. She She's the one that initiated all this um, by turning down the call up last year. She's the one that it, it won't matter every every June. She somehow will be unavailable to play. Um, and that is something that she's going to have to deal with. And at the same time, if she, you know, next next June is the World Cup. And, you know, is she going to turn down a call up in June? If they decide, if FIFA says, hey, you can wear pride numbers during the World Cup, is she going to turn down a call to the World Cup because of that? That's going to be up to her. Um, and it, 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 I, I don't know what the, who looks worse than this. I think U.S. soccer, as you said, always looks bad. But I think this has smelled bad for, for Hinkle ever since she turned down that call up last year. Yeah. I I just want to emphasize one last time before we move on to any other topic. I've been getting some pushback. A lot of people, you know, very kind of frantically trying to tell me just because she doesn't want to wear a rainbow number doesn't make her a homophobe. But she's explicitly rejecting a symbol of support for the LGBT community because she believes that it's morally wrong to do so. So I don't know how much clearer a line that, you know, I have to draw here between her action and its meaning and its impact so she and and when we're talking about world cup performance you know teams win on a matter of percentages inches like mm-hmm. sometimes things can hinge on who got an extra hour of sleep who had the right amount of coffee whose diet was better who like who ice bathed more or the proper amount the night before little things like that are you really gonna risk you know the percentages on someone who could be the, the equivalent the emotional equivalent of throwing a stone into a pond I I think that's a legitimate reason to make a cut there if we're going by soccer reasons. No, that makes sense. Uh, let's shift to some better news. Um, uh, the the FIFA best I guess FIFA best twenty eighteen list uh, nomination list came out, and there was one American, and it is our girl Megan Rapino who has been dominating this year. Um, she's going up against players like Marta, Samantha Kerr, Amandine Henry or Henri, excuse me, uh, Lucy Bronze, uh, Perennial Harder. Um, what does this mean for Rapino? And obviously, this is a, a list that seems very different from years past. We've had players like, you know, uh, uh, Alex Morgan and Carly Lloyd kind of dominating that. What does it mean that Megan Rapino was on it when maybe a year ago she was probably that player that people were like, well, she might not make, make this World Cup roster? I wonder if this is an indication that they're paying a little more attention to club performance. Um, I do also wonder if there's some politics here. They're like, we got to have an American on the list. I, if you're looking at the committee that picks the, uh, the 10, it's a panel of experts. There's only one American on it. It's me and ham. So I don't necessarily know that that political theory is correct. Um, I think it, it means that, yeah, they noticed because Rapino has had a good time for the national team. She's been going bongers with assists. She, she mm-hmm. basically gets an assist per game like this year so far, but she's been more important to her club. I think based on the difficulty level 
and you know the talent she has surrounding her. I'm not trying to bag on the Seattle Rain. Please don't send angry letters, Seattle Rain fans. But you know, compared with being surrounded by the national team versus being compared, uh, being surrounded by, you know, there's good. There's a lot of top players on the Rain, and there's also players who are like, they're good at interviews all over, but they're not ever going to be international players. She's much bigger impact there. I don't really rate her chances to win in a year when there was, you know, some big Champions League performances. And also Leon did the double. They won the domestic league. Um, but I think this was a good pick when in past years, maybe you've kind of looked at the Americans on the list and been like, oh, really? Is that happening? Or is that like a name you picked because you recognized it? Yeah, that makes sense. I think it also kind of like really speaks to how incredible it is that she's managed to come back from, I think, did she, is she going through her third ACL recovery? ACL that tear was, recovery? I don't think that was, that was this year. Right? Yeah, it was leading into, but this season she did have a kind of quote unquote minor injury that took her out mid season. So she's still that she, her season was interrupted for a not inconsiderable chunk of time. And she's still like topping a lot of the stat charts, I think is a, you know, it's a feather in her cap for sure. Do you kind of like look at the other names on this list? And it does kind of seem like politics did play a little bit of a role in it where you've got, you know, the only country that's represented twice, I think, is France. Um, I think you have to look at the clubs, though. Look how yeah. look how many players from Lyon on this list. One, two, three, four, five, six. Over half the list is from Lyon, um, which, you know, kind of speaks to their owner's habit of playing got to catch them all with you know, top international players. So I'm not trying to say that there's a bias against Lyon here necessarily, although they do have a lot of name recognition in the game, especially after winning Champions League and that crazy game where it was like tied and they (laughs) scored four goals in extra time where they were like, all right, time to get serious. Um, I'm not so naive as to think there's no politics involved in this. So yeah, I would agree with you that there's probably some, but I don't necessarily know if it's, necessary uh you know they were trying to spread it around to all 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 the countries i also don't know if they're trying to play politics here and like appease viva countries that they particularly care about appeasing them on the women's side which is kind of it's depressing to say but kind of true (laughs) yeah i think uh i don't know in the end you got to give her a good chance only because you know she has played very well but i think it's a lot more tall a task this year compared to them just giving it to, you know, Carly Lloyd or Alex Morgan every year for the last, what, four or five years. Um, I feel like that was more based on national team performances in the past than what they were doing currently. But I think a lot of the individual players have stepped up this year. Um, And while Rapino's had a ridiculous year year for club and and country, when you combine the two, um, I think that the, the list this year is a lot more loaded um as far as uh resumes um a lot of a lot of people have a chance to win this thing so i'll, I'll you know i'll say that mega rapino has has as good a shot as anybody so go get him pino uh i think that covers the uh the women's side of things um so why don't we move on to the men um and we have parker here for a reason we we wanted to discuss uh we were we were talking he he had an article on on stars and stripes fc a couple days ago or was that yesterday I don't remember what day it is. It's it's late. <laughs> um, uh, where we were discussing how the uh, the French model that the the France uh, World Cup champion France team uh, employed um, 
is not one that the U.S. should expect to get success from duplicating. Um, and, and that obviously sparked a lot of controversy. Not, I won't say controversy, but a lot of discussion, heated discussion about why it wouldn't work, what wouldn't work for the United States. Um, so, Parker, let me start with you. You know, just give this the, for people who didn't read it. Um, give a sense of why you think that this French model that got France their second star uh, would not work for the U.S. Yeah, so kind of the basis of the article is that I think that like the U.S. and France are are kind of surprisingly similar countries if you kind of like drill down and and look at some of the things that they have in common. So you know, uh, like social things and and cultural things, I, I think are a little bit more more uh, more in line between the two countries than it, it might really seem on first look. And uh, I was really interested kind of in this idea that like the U.S after almost every world cup cycle comes out and says like, well, the team that won or one of the teams that did really well did, you know, certain things. And so we will do those things, but they, they don't typically tend to be, um, you know, things that the U S can, can realistically achieve. So, uh, because they, I, I think that the focus is generally on the result and not the process. So, you know, with France, I kind of think that the, the way that they ended up winning the world cup was, you know, if you look at the way that the roster is built, I think 21 of the 23 players are either immigrants or they're children of immigrants. And, um, you know, they really kind of just leveraged the the best of their kind of development system and, and the French, you know, kind of youth academies and things like that to kind of grow this roster and, and put the, this team together. And then, you know, um, the Trump just kind of, uh, you know, got the tactics right and everything like that. But, you know, and even even tactically, I think that the U.S. could play this way, the way that France played, where you know they're kind of sitting back and, and absorbing pressure, and then hitting on the counter, or you know getting the ball to the playmakers when they can. Um, and the U.S. could absolutely play that way, um, but you know they're not they're not going to. Our system isn't geared to develop these players from these kinds of backgrounds, um, you know, working class working class backgrounds with players like Mbappe and Pogba and N'Golo Kante and, and these guys like this. Um, so I was just kind of interested to kind of look at that a little bit deeper and, and discuss why the U S might not necessarily be successful in that. See Parker, when you, when, when this article came out, it, it actually, uh, we were discussing this the other day, it, it struck a nerve for the right reason, because I think that in this country we have um, some sports arrogance and, and not just in soccer, just in any sport. Right. Um, but we'll take soccer for an example. Like you said, in 2010, Spain won the World Cup, and then all of a sudden we were saying, we have to do tiki-taka. If we do tiki-taka, we'll win everything. We'll be done. We'll be, it'll be easy. We can just apply that, and we'll be good. Germany won in 2014. All of a sudden, the German model was the way to go. Now that France has won, people are saying, well, we should just play like the French. The French didn't win the World Cup in 2018 by playing like Germany or playing like Spain. They won by playing like France. And we, we feel like I feel like in a lot of things, including sports for us, we just say, oh, well, we have the athletes. We have the people. All we got to do is just plug in X, Y, or Z, and we're going to win everything, and we should win everything. Um, I was on a plane ride uh, on Sunday, and this guy next to me um, was, was very annoying, and he was talking about um, how we had failed and how it was the most embarrassing thing he'd ever seen um, and how I could, you know, how we could fix it. When I told him that I didn't think it was the most embarrassing thing, he goes, why? We have 350 million people. We should be able to just find the best athletes and just play and, and just beat everybody. And I, 
And I was just like, this, this is the arrogance, right? We just feel like, hey, we are so good that we can just plug in whatever. We can take the LeBrons. We can take the Barry Sanders. We can take the uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky's or whoever, the, the American Wayne Gretzky's. And we could just apply that and say, this is our team is better than you. And I, I think with this model, we, we have to start thinking how to use, utilize American players the best way that American players can play. And that not necessarily in any type of style, but an American style. Yes, that's going to be one that is mixed, is going to be one that has a lot of influences from different places. But to say that we should just apply a model and that's going to be the, the Band-Aid that fixes everything, I feel like is misguided. I think you were correct in your in in your uh, in your in your post about how people shouldn't just assume that that's going to you know work because it worked for the French. Um, the French are a different country. The French are different personnel of people. Um, the, their team is a different personnel. And if we had those players, then yeah, maybe the French model will work. But we don't. We have 18, 19 year olds trying to fight to replace 31 and 32 year olds. And right now we're in, in a state of flux and we just have to figure out what works best for us. And that could be a mix of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of to add on to, to some of that too, though, like I kind of think when something like gets lost in this discussion and, and part of what gets, you know, inserted into this is, is, you know, if only our best athletes like played soccer and all of that. Um, but I, I think that if you sort of look at the, the kinds of players who end up, you know, being on, on national teams, um, they're not the same types of players that the U.S. is producing as, as far as kind of like their backgrounds and things like that. So, you know, I think you look at the U.S. academy systems and who they're they're kind of serving. And it's generally, you know, like wealthy kids from the suburbs um, who are able to afford kind of thousands of dollars worth of academy training and then also have parents who can afford to send them on you know like long trips to go play in tournaments and then also go with them and take time off work and stuff and you know you you just generally don't see that sort of thing in in the rest of the world um for you know how they develop soccer players and i think that you know some of that might be changing in the u.s um but on on the whole like that was really to me like that was the key to how France was able to kind of put this team together and, and why they had this talented group of players. It wasn't so much that like, it's not just that they're the best athletes, but they're, they're the best athletes who are getting these opportunities. And like, mm-hmm. you know, would, would LeBron James, who's, you know, from Akron, Ohio, right? Like, is he going to be <laughs> getting, you know, getting these same opportunities as, as a soccer player that he did in basketball? Like probably not. Yeah. Well, we have, you know, great, you know, a lot of instances of players who ended up in in, a, in the NFL or ended up in the NBA because they got too big or too tall to play soccer. Um, right. and Dominic Sue played football or played soccer until he was 11. And they said, yo, man, you're 300 pounds. You can't play soccer anymore. And that's when he started playing football. And he took those tools that he learned in football and soccer to translate to football. You know, guys um, who were, you know, playing, you know, soccer. And then all of a sudden they're like, yo, man, you're six, nine, you can't play soccer anymore. And maybe you should take those foot skills and become a great basketball player. Joel Embiid is one guy who grew up playing soccer and only started playing basketball when he was too big to basically play soccer. So, I mean, those sort of things. And I feel like it's, it's really uh, disingenuous and, and kind of a, a slap I, for me, it's kind of a slap in the face to some of these soccer players. When you, when people say, Hey, let's just take the insert, greatest player at another sport and 
he'll be great at soccer because he has good good feet or 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 he can pass all of his hands in a sport that you can't use your hands um you know it's the same argument that you know, that I come back with hey you know Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever lived that didn't translate to baseball and and that is another big you know quote unquote big four sport that people think oh you could just throw people in there and they'll be great so uh, I I'm just I, I don't understand why in America we have to say our best players our best athletes aren't playing the sport that we love because I think in all honesty right now the best soccer athletes are playing soccer because that's what they're good at and that's what they've been trained to do that's what they're, they've grown up wanting to do and that's why we have a nice generation of young players coming up that you're that people are excited to see let me ask you guys this so you talk about having to find you know what works best for the united states what do you think are some i don't want to say uniquely american but things that you see commonly in america that you think could be strengths of the game to help the program go forward uh so for me and and i'll I'll give it to you parker in a second but I i think for me the one thing that i remember growing up um all the way up to maybe like a couple years ago is that no matter what our, our team played hard, our team played to the final whistle and our team had that determination that, Hey, we may not be the best. We may be down to nothing, but we're going to get this result. And I feel like, you know, growing up, they were, we were taught that with our mind, we can do an American can do anything when you put their mind to it. Right. And I feel like in soccer, we played that way. Even if we were down, we didn't get flustered. We didn't panic. We we played our we played our tails off for ninety plus minutes until we got the result that we were looking for, um, and I don't know if we're doing that now. I mean, I think we're now getting back to that, but I think in the last year or so, you know, one of the reasons why we did make the World Cup, in my opinion, is that we just got away from that. We got away from our style. We kept trying to cater to people who thought a different style was best, and we didn't get to the bread and butter of what got us to that point. Why we went from a team that did not make the World Cup for 50 years to or to, for 40 years to a team that the world hated to be lined up against because they knew they were in for a fight. I think that is what we need to get back to. And I think all the other stuff kind of, and I, I don't want to say falls into place because that's kind of simplifying it. But I do think that with that in place, a lot of our the issues that a lot of fans had with the teams uh, of the last couple of years will be lessened because I think that is what got us to this point. Yeah, I definitely kind of echo that um, a bit. Like, I think one of um, one of the things that was really concerning kind of about the U.S. this last cycle is, you know, just all of the tension and everything that I think Jurgen Klinsmann kind of was bringing into the team and kind of fostering on purpose a little bit too, sort of as his, like, antagonistic coaching philosophy, which to me is, like, kind of weird. Um you know, kind of just boiled over and, and that kind of led to the first two losses in, in qualifying. And then I think, you know, the other thing that happened with Bruce Arena, at least, was, you know, I think that he kind of saw what Klinsman did and, and rather than kind of focusing on, well, you know, I just need to kind of have my ideas as as, as far as like the soccer team goes, you know, on the field, you know, lead our results or, or get, get us to results. I think that he really kind of wanted to like prove some broader point about, you know, the kind of players that he was bringing in, you know, being a little bit more MLS based than European based and, and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, whoever comes in next just needs to kind of get back to what the U S has typically 
been at their best, which was, I think I read some somewhere, you know, like defensively cohesive, fast on the counter and tall on set pieces. Like mm-hmm. if we can get back to just kind of, you know, being a pest and, and never really giving up. Um, and then also kind of <laughs> stealing some wins. Like let's, let's get back to you. When was the last time that we beat like one of these giant teams? It's been a long time. Like, uh, you know, I, I kind of can't wait for, for the next gold cup to come around to see if we can't, you know, you know, uh, get past Mexico and, and get that going again and sort of get that mentality again with these younger players. No, that's a good point. And I think in the end, I think what, what excites me about these, these young guys that are coming in and, um, you know, you see some of them highlighted. I know U.S. Soccer did a, a series with 11 of them um, this week, um, and I haven't watched them yet. But the people who watch kind of they say they fall in love with these guys because they they approach it with the mentality of I have to prove something. I, I'm going to prove that that Americans can can hack it at this international level. And I like that mentality. I like the fact that Tim Weah is like, I want to be the best player in the world. Not in America, not in Europe, in the world. I like that mentality because he, if he had, if he has the drive to say that and he has the determination to work hard to back that up, that's going to make everybody better. Like him being at PSG and he cracks into that lineup because he wants to be the best in the world. That's terrific. The fact that you know people look at Christian Pulisic and say he deserves to be in Real Madrid or Liverpool or Chelsea or Man United or or Bayern Munich or even at Dortmund, which is already a big club. I think that is a great thing. And if we have these guys locking into that mentality of I have something to prove, they have a chip on their shoulder and they're going to play like that. That's what excites me. And that's why I'm really excited about these friendlies coming up against Brazil, Mexico. Those are two really tough tests for young guys. They've already had one in France and now they're going to get two more. And, and, and actually probably, you know, with this, whatever they're calling it, the kickoff series that they're calling it, um, they'll get as many as six of these games to prove to, to show the world, hey, we're playing top talent and we're not backing down. That's what I want to, get to see the U.S. get back to. And I think these guys, at least at least right now, initially, have that instilled in me that they're that they're about to, to about to turn this thing around. Steph, did you want to add to that, or or did you have any comments on it? I knew you were going to bring up Tim Weah, but I mean, we talked about him before, and I really <laughs> like that attitude. Yeah. So I'll just say that, yeah, I'm excited for young kids who don't have this attitude of like, oh, if I, uh, you know, the United States will will never achieve this level, but we can at least strive to be on like this tier. No, I want players who are like, it's absolutely possible for us one day to be number one and to win the World Cup. Like, you know, not not thinking like it's a given and we're predestined for it, but just players who are like, that's a goal that we should and can have. Yeah. And I mean, even just like the fact that Bayern Munich is taking, you know, players from MLS on from, from MLS on loan to have trials. That's, that's a start. We have guys at PSG. We have guys at Chelsea. We have guys at Man U that are trying to crack through and break through. We have guys at, you know, at, you know, Pulisic's at Dortmund, McKinney's at Schalke, you know, these aren't small clubs. And I want, and, I honestly like the fact that these guys are challenging themselves by going to bigger clubs and saying, can I hack it at this level, whether they're getting loaned out or whatever, you know, I'm not, you know, too uh, down on that because I think at that point they there's a certain point where you got to give them minutes so that they can challenge themselves and, and, and improve on the field. But when these teams are, are coming here to scout, you know, 
MLS players and they're saying this is the next wave is is American talent and, and Canadian talent in the in the in Alfonso Davies like that is exactly what we want our players to be shooting for. I I am a Real Madrid fan. I would love for one day there to be an American walking out on that field in a, in a Real Madrid shirt. That would you know we have made it. You know if if we have one of those guys, we've never had one. Barca I don't think has ever had one. Like those sort of things. Are, are what people strive for when they look at the best teams in the world and they're saying, Oh, why is America, you know, really strong. You want Americans to be there. And I think that's kind of what these guys are looking forward to. Yeah. And I think just also to kind of like add on, on the day, like you mentioned MLS and something that happened. Uh, I think Will Parchman on the athletic had a, had an article uh, come out today about, you know, real salt Lake and FC Dallas played a game this weekend and and they had 11 MLS homegrown players in it mm-hmm. um you know and and I think that that's really that is pretty incredible as far as kind of like you know you're actually seeing this year I think that they've already kind of topped out um they've already had more MLS uh, homegrown players um get minutes this year than they did the entirety of last year um and so you know the fact is also that the the kids are are getting getting more chances in MLS and MLS has, you know, this is as good as the MLS has ever been. This is as good as the soccer has ever been in the league. Mm -hmm. And I think it also helps, it helps the league too, right? Like when you see Alfonso Davies at the end of the year, he's going to go to Bayern. If he plays stars of Bayern, that's a boost to the league, the whole league and and not just Canadian players, not just American players, the whole league. When you, in, you know, five years ago, we were happy when players left to go to Stoke or Newcastle or, or Sunderland. Now we're going to be like Sunderland. He only went to Sunderland. That's kind of whack. Like I hope five years from now, we're like, these guys are going to Bayern. They're going to, you know, PSG. They're going to the biggest clubs in Europe and in the world. Um, I, you know, honestly, I, I, I'd be ecstatic if we see players playing in Mexico uh, for club America and, and, you know, playing, playing regularly players playing in, in South America for, you know, in the Brasilero or in Argentina, and other some of these other leagues that people are like, oh, well, those teams are good, but why are you know, you know, why is Argentina such a good league or, or such a good team? Because they have these players that come from these teams, and no one ever watches them play. Um, but if our if their players are secretly getting good, and and you know, every year European clubs are going over to Brazil, they're going over to Argentina to pluck their young talent to bring back over. Like that's what I want our guys to be. I want them to be in the best environment that they can possibly be to get to where their goals are. And if that helps, I think that will all help the league, and in turn, will help our national teams. Here, here's the here's the timeline that I'm thinking of. You guys tell me if you think that this sounds about right. It's not going to happen for a while, and I think everybody agrees on that. But mm-hmm. I think there's probably like a, a nine, ten year old kid who's watching Christian Pulisic now. So. By the time that kid is, say, 22, 24, I think we'll be on the edge of something new and interesting. It's maybe headed for, you know, the kind of um, results that Tim Wei is talking about, that the the kind of truly top tier will we'll have moved out of that, like, please like my sport attitude into like, okay, we can compete at this top level. What do mm-hmm. you guys think about that timeline? Uh, I, I like it. I think the... I would shorten it by oh. maybe a year um, because honestly, people are like, oh, 2026 World Cup. What do you expect? And my expectation that there is probably a 10 or 11 year old that we've never heard of 
that is going to be highly, highly visible on our team by that point. And I think we have the, the, the academies are there. The development is there um, for some of these players that I think, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be a whole team of 18 year olds, but I do think there's going to be one or two um, that are 18, 19, 20 years old in 2026 that captain plus is going to walk on the field and he's going to be one of the stars, but another star is going to be one of those guys that we've never heard of yet. And I think that is a good timeline. Parker, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's really exciting to kind of see the kind of talent, the the kind of opportunities that the players are getting and to sort of project that forward, you know, you know, eight or 10 years. And, um, you know, I, I think that like, if you really want to like set a good goal for the U S that I think is probably achievable, like let's, let's look at the 2026 world cup in front of a home crowd. And like, if Russia can make the quarterfinals in their world cup, we damn well better make it in ours. Like, I, I think that that's, that's not like that far out of, you know, out of the realm of possibility. And, and, you know, we should, we should be able to do that with the kind of players that we have and, and the kind of opportunities that they're getting, you know, a lot can happen between now and then. And, and who knows, you know, where these guys actually end up. But if, if this is sort of becoming a trend where you're seeing, you know, guys 18, 19 years old, you know, also 16 year olds who are, who are getting their, their, you know, EU passports and getting these chances. Like I absolutely think that, you know, eight years from now, uh, the U S should be, you know, seriously competing um, to, to be doing, doing well at the world cup. Yeah. Just, I think it's cool. just survive eight years. We'll, we'll see if the country still exists then. <laughs> <laughs> well, by then, like, you know, Baron Trump will probably be captain of the national team. But <laughs> Wow, you really took it there, huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, now we really have to go. All <laughs> right. I apologize to future head coach Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. <laughs> he, want, he, got, he got us the World Cup bid. He could probably <laughs> get us to a quarterfinal. That's true. Well, we better. Well, We can't, we can't <laughs> dope like Russia, though. No, no one can dope like Russia. Um, so I guess that'll do it for, uh, for this week's podcast. Um, Parker, thank you for joining us. You're our first ever guest host, and I think you you have set the bar high for everybody uh, going forward. We probably won't have that many people coming, but um, it could be it could be someone else, and they're going to have to do better than you did. So thank you for joining us, and uh, for all of you out there, we will be back hopefully next week. Um, uh, well, maybe next week, maybe right after Tournament Nation, so we can recap those three games. But for now, for Parker, for Stephanie, I'm Donald. Uh, we are we are signing off. Take care and uh, go USA.